And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 78 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Sunday, May 10th, 2015. Okay, folks, it's a special day for two reasons. So the first, it's Mother's Day. Assuming, that is, you live in one of the 85 countries, yeah, that's right, I looked it up, that actually celebrates it on Sunday, May 10th. For all you in Paraguay, it'll be this coming week. If you're in Poland, it's two weeks from now. And then it's the last Sunday in May for Algeria, Dominican Republic, Senegal, Sweden, Tunisia, Madagascar, Morocco, and France. Ah, yes, of course, France. For France, it would be the first day in June if Pentecost was today, but this year it's not. So there you go. France, it's today. Happy Mother's Day. There's something you probably didn't already know. Now, of course, just in time for Mother's Day, there's a scam to be aware of for Facebook where people are sharing posts asking people to share their name, birth, weight, and all sorts of personal information about their children in honor of Mom's Day. Ah, just what mom needs, right? Identity theft, the gift that just keeps on giving. But of course, that's what Joe and I are here to do, keep you up to date with all the news, views, opinions, rants, and raves to make your mom proud. She'll rave about this old marketing. She'll say out loud that you're her favorite child. She'll be like Sandra Bullock on the blind side saying, you, native advertising, you threaten my son, you threaten me. Or like Sarah O'Connor in Terminator 2 where she says, of all the would-be fathers that came over the years, this thing, this content marketing machine, it's the only thing that measured up. Or like Ripley in Aliens who says to Newt, these men, Robert and Joe, they're here to help you. Or Anthony Perkins in Psycho who says, mother, God, no, it's native advertising. Or of course, the whole cast of How I Met Your Mother who say, well, kids, this is how I met the future of marketing. Okay, I might be embellishing just a little bit, but Joe and I are ready. No Yo Mama jokes here. We got the mother load of this week's news. Mum's the word because we got a couple of rants and a couple of raves and a wrapped up mummy of old marketing for your listening pleasure. We're the mafia of the godmother of content. We're no stepmother. We're the mother of invention of content marketing. We'll be your mother's little helper. The motherland, the digital content motherboard, the mother effing content on this mother effing show. So yeah, let's get this mother going. And let's also celebrate the other very special day, a special birthday. For that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the Optimum Prime of Birthday Boy of Content Marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, Joe? Happy birthday, my friend. Well, thank you very much. And uh, that was the most interesting opening I think I've ever <laughs> heard you do. It was the mother of all openings. I think we were going, yeah, we were going into completely new territory. No, it was, <laughs> thank you for the birthday wishes. It was a wonderful day, as we were talking before. The Cavaliers won? Had, yeah, had the family over. We were watching the Cavs game. Uh, good, you know, sorry to all those Chicago Bulls fans out there, but, you know, LeBron hit the last second shot. Well, it was so funny. I know you're not a basketball fan, but two days ago, Derrick Rose, you know, the star from Chicago Bulls, he sure. hit a last second shot at the buzzer to beat the Cavs. This one was almost exactly reversed. Oh my gosh! It's 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 quite a series. I mean, who two championship teams? It's going to come down to seven games most likely, and I'm going to have a heart attack. But <laughs> in the meantime, it's been uh, you know, as you know, this was a very special birthday for me. This is number forty two, and forty two. Forty two. Yeah, it's a, you know has a special place in my heart. Uh, you know, for my first company was named after you know forty two. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy there you is a go. wonderful book that I love. And uh, so, yeah, I'm getting older. Uh, but but the, what I heard was is because— I will always be older than you, my well, friend, that's so just true. know that. You've got, you've got that going for you. I'm actually much younger than you think I am because every time my birthday is on Mother's Day, it cancels out. So I'm only oh, actually, I see. I'm only I actually I haven't like heard 30, that before. I'm only actually like 35 or okay. something. Okay, all right. I'm feeling great. <laughs> Anyways, so we onward um, to the news. Exactly. Do we have some news going on? Yes. Well, as, uh, speaking of of advertising and and all things mother and and all of that, we've got Mad Men. Mad Men twenty twenty five. Um, this article, our first story of the show, comes to us from AdAge dot com. Ad leaders, advertising leaders, that is, predict the future of the industry. Um, as the article opens, it says, as Mad Men brings its epic look back at the agency life of the 1960s and 1970s to a close, we ask today's agency leaders what the Mad Men would look like if it were set in future, specifically 10 years from now. And they asked all sorts of people um, who 
quite honestly, I'm not sure would really understand what's going on. But everything from Martin Sorrell, the CEO of WPP Group, to Richard Edelman, who's the CEO, of course, of Edelman, Ted Royer, New York Chief Creative Officer of Droga5, um, Robert Sr., Saatchi and Saatchi, all sorts of people to ask them what the advertising world looks like in 2025, what the Mad Men thing looks like. I, I mean, I don't know what you took out of this, Joe, but the, I, have a, I have a favorite one that really isn't very serious, and then I have one that is very serious that actually I, I, I quite liked. And So what did you think of this? You know, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Some of these were um, you know, almost like that. What's that new movie out? Ex Machina or yeah, <laughs> whatever. Right, yeah, it's like right. really into the future. Like there were a lot of like robots are going to take over the earth and they'll be, you know, raining orbs of sun, you know, out coming out of your head. That's well, I think up. that was the that was the guy from um, Droga Five, Ted Royer. Who yeah, he, he, I don't think he was being serious because he basically said there's going to be this. Your emotions will be received through an alien face hugger Oculus Rift combo. Nation, and we'll be okay with that because by then corporations will have convinced us that they'll be our huge best friends. So to sum up, giant-sized dogs will pump brand love messages directly into our faces. I love that. I <laughs> that, that, yeah, that was. Awesome. I had to read that over again because I'm like, no, I think he is joking. Actually, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, no, there was. I mean, what I got out of the whole thing was tons of opportunities and tons of disruption all at the same time. So there's, you know, it's interesting to see what's going to go on. Pam Hamlin here. From uh, Global President yeah. Arnold Worldwide. She was my favorite. That's yeah, my, favorite my favorite one. Maybe yep. I'm taking yours. Absolutely mine too. Well, yeah, her, you are her, taking mine, yeah. Yeah, her, her thing was, uh, there will continue to be more ways to reach people, and yet people will never be harder to reach, making the power of ideas even more important. I love yeah. that. It's so great. I mean, it's you know, it's it's sort of a no-duh, but it I, I loved it for its simplicity. It's just... You know, it's one of those things, the more things change, the more things change, and the more things stay the same. And it's 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 really, I just thought it was great. It basically, we just have to get more creative and, and, and be, able to weigh, be able to find ways, as she says, to tell timeless human stories. But I think it's interesting that the majority of these people come from that territory of, hey, how do we create great advertising for yeah. people? And they don't think about, like... If, you know, as we do our content marketing predictions every year, they're, they're totally different. They're all about, you know, brands creating amazing, relevant information and creating connections and experiences with customers. I mean, what I did like is the one, I forgot which one it is. Um, oh, it's the one right, right about Pam's. Uh, Ray Inamoto from Aqua. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, says, yeah, it says yeah. by 2025, 95% of customers will manage their business experiences without, or business relationships without ever talking to a human. I absolutely think that's true. <laughs> it, it may be, be higher than that. I don't be. know. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I think one of the, I mean, so they didn't ask us. I don't know why they didn't ask us. So being the movers and shakers we are in the business. I know, guffaw. Um, What's up? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, if, if you ask me, I look at it out and I go, okay, 10 years from now, you know, it's like, where would we have predicted we would be 10 years ago, right? And I think if you had sort of said to yourself, you know, it'll just be very similar, but you know, different things. I think it's, you know, you sort of project out 10 years from now, and it's going to be pretty much the same things we're dealing with now, but in a different way, right? So the Facebooks and LinkedIn's and Twitter's and all of these Snapchats will be different things. It'll probably be some level of internet of things that we're dealing with and heavily connected devices and how do we market for the car that automatically connects and all those kinds of things. But I think it'll be the same issues really that we're dealing with, which is how do we differentiate and create powerful ideas in the minds of our consumers using the channels that we have at hand? I still think, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much mention of building audiences. And I, no. and I think that's it. I mean, regardless, well, I don't that, care how much technology is out there. It's going to be about how do we build amazing and loyal audiences on I, an ongoing I, basis? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's, 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 it, I was surprised at how little there was of, you know, there was a lot of posturing, right? You know, you could see so much wordsmithing in the in the responses, especially from some of the higher executives, right, where it was clearly written by, you know, a PR machine or something. And but the the how, how little attention was paid to the evolution of creating audiences or engaging with audiences and creating content. How little attention was paid to that. And how much attention was paid to sort of, well, you know, like the one the one person who said, well, programmatic will be huge. You know, robot-driven advertising will be, you know, it's like, yeah, right, okay, but 
you know, what does that really mean? I just wanted somebody to, to say, of course, self-serving, is that no one will be able to tell the difference between media companies and non-media companies. I, I really, I mean, that's what we're seeing. We're gonna, actually going to talk about that later because there's a couple yeah. articles coming yeah, up. Right. But I, I really do believe that in five to ten years, that's the case. Now, whether we psychologically think that they're different just because they brand in a different way and they tell stories differently, but in essence, the business models will be essentially the same. The same. Yeah. Yeah. So... All right, let's move along with this one. Um, the next article that we are going to cover is comes to us from Moz.com. And this is one, um, first of all, hat tip uh, to two people here, Patrick Paroline, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correct, Patrick, um, and Mark Tennant, who is a longtime friend and family member of the show, for passing on this story to both of us. Um, and the headline uh, on Moz is the ROI of content marketing versus native advertising. And the way the article starts is it says, as the efficacy of outbound marketing continues to wane, I'm not really sure I, uh, well, anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, exactly. And, and as the efficacy of outbound marketing continues to wane, more and more marketers are considering native advertising and content marketing as viable alternatives. And according to their survey, 72% of their clients have asked their content marketing agencies about native advertising. They then go through this research that they conducted. Ding, ding, ding. Look out. Joe's going to be on the world path because they've conducted research. <laughs> and so they've got this methodology. They talk about the methodology where they first of all went through the media kit pricing for some of the larger brands that are providing native advertising, including some of the well-known suspects, the BuzzFeeds, et cetera, to get how much money they were charging for a native advertising program. And then what they did was they took this research out and they created a 14-question survey for content marketing providers, these agencies. And they explored everything from like the cost of the services of how they did their campaigns, which immediately sort of set my hairs on end, um, and then got with uh, people that we know at Relevance, the agency there, to kind enough draw their raw data on their native, native advertising costs to compare those things. And then they go through just a wall of data. And I want to, first of all, before I pick this apart a little bit, I want to say hats off. There's a lot of work here. There was yes, a lot somebody of Somebody took a ton of time. Yeah, a absolutely. Ton of time. So I don't want to take away from the amount of work here, but I'm going to pick apart these conclusions a little bit. But before I do that, I wanted to ask you what you thought about this thing. Well, uh, there's a couple sections of this that I actually asked myself whether this was sponsored content. <laughs> because they do, and and by the way, we should say it's it's by Fractal is I I believe right. you know let's give them yeah. if you know oh yeah right give them a shout yeah out and well. and they there's they have a couple uh, quips in here that that sort of you get feeling of, oh there's a little bit of uh, pro Fractal stuff going on. Um, my first concern here is that they say sixty percent of the goals of native advertising is around leads, contacts, and audience, which I like. Right. Because wasn't it last week where we talked about the ANA native advertising one and they didn't have That's any right. goals around Leads lead generation or, yeah, or audience exactly. acquisition? Yeah. So I'm like, so here, you know, of course, my guard gets put up because I'm like, how can you have one, one study over here that doesn't have any mention of that in the goals and objectives? And then you have this other one that all the three top goals are audience based. So anyways, that's one that kind of irked, irked me a little bit. I, my biggest challenge here was they pulled in so many different sources of research and started to draw correlations between those two things that it really just sort of set my head spinning. I was, I was honestly having a really tough time keeping up with all of the different ways that they were sort of justifying, you know, that there weren't a ton this, of conclusions well, this was drawn a, here. This, was a be, this would have been better as like four separate articles, I think. Right. Because they, yeah, they're I, trying to make a case for everything and, and yes. then defining content marketing and then they throw an inbound and, you know, they kind of go around and around. I think the, there's a couple of things that we need to pay attention to. First of all, first off, they're just talking about content marketing as it relates to awareness. That's right. They're not talking about any other goals. So I think we have to keep that in mind because they're not talking about any loyalty retention goals well here. so here's well or any other goals quite frankly because one of the things that sort of set me off on the article was very very much in the beginning because the first sentence of the article as we sort of mentioned was well as interruptive advertising begins to wane and content marketing and native advertising begin to take its place and it's like all right well if that's going to be your premise let's stick with that 
But then to sort of illustrate the ROI sort of positivity of content marketing, they quote one of my favorite people in the world, Julie Fleischer, and what she's doing at Kraft when she says basically the ROI in our content marketing work is among the highest of all of our marketing efforts. But what they fail to mention or whether they just don't know is that Julie is using the ROI they derive out of that program is to make their programmatic interruptive advertising better, more effective. Mm -hmm. So the ROI from the content marketing is actually used to make their interruptive advertising better as they do it. And to me, that's a great use for content marketing, but it sort of flies in the face of only use, you know, looking at those things as a competitive thing. And that's overall sort of broadly thematically what the challenge I have with this is that it looks at content marketing as a campaign driven tactic that is in competition with the rest of the things that we're doing with marketing. And I believe that that's fundamentally misplaced. Content marketing is something you do in, in it inhabits everything you do as a marketing organization. It makes what you do better. I think we've said that enough times. But I think, it, but but I know, but that's so important. I mean, you, you we were, I don't know if I was talking about this last time, but it was the same conversation that I had with the executive that said, "Why would anybody do anything outbound and anything non digital?" And I basically right. said, "Are you crazy? Like." You're just going to say inbound is the only way to go, or for that matter, let's just use our terminology, you know, content marketing. Content, we would never say, you know, only do content marketing. Absolutely that's not. That's ridiculous, and I think that's that's the biggest learning here because none of these things are going away. It's just like, you know, tel- you know as, as uh, television came along, didn't kill radio, you know? That's right. Out, you know, that's right. Inbound doesn't kill outbound. You know, you use all those and you look for the, the you know, the levers to push that's going to make the best experiences with your customers and lead that's to right. the best revenue opportunities for your company. Well, it could funny. be a combination. It probably is a combination. I was on this. I'm going to London in June to speak at Futurecoms, which is a heavily PR-driven uh, event. And I was on this. They were teeing it up with this uh, event that was in London. And they, they had a panel at this event. And I came in via Skype. Um, which was its own fun set of complexity. Yeah, exactly. To be on a, to be on a panel conversation through Skype and you're sort of a talking head there, it's, it's very, very difficult, but fun. I had a really good time. Great panel, great experts on there. And one of the questions from the audience was, is social media dead? Because PR has been so focused on sort of using social media as its leverage point these days, you know, as sort of like, well, here's where PR is evolving. It's social media. And somebody asked if PR, if social media was dead, and I said, no, it's, of course it's not dead, but it's evolving more into a paid strategy than it is a community-building strategy. So it's evolving, like everything is. And so none of these things are dead. They just evolve into different things. Content marketing has evolved from where it began hundreds of years ago, and it's now taking over a wider swath of the funnel than it used to. You know, you've talked about this so many times where content marketing really got its legs as a loyalty program built um, around print magazines for customers and has now, because of digital, really grown and expanded and sort of covers off so much more of the, the customer journey now. Everything is evolving and iterating here. And if we continually look at replacement strategies, we're going to ultimately lose that game. That's that's such a great point. And people listening to this can play that whole section over again and (laughs) and play it for their boss, actually, so that everybody gets this, because I'm tired of fighting that battle, especially with some of the leaders in this industry that are saying, no, just do this. I'm like, please don't do that. You give us all a bad name uh, by doing that kind of thing. A couple things related to this uh, piece of research. The one thing that, that I took from this, and I don't know if you took from it, Robert, is when they talk about you're trying to build you know, an audience of some kind, build leads, whatever, right. I think a lot of the case is these marketers doing this don't have a current platform, a current content platform in place. And the one thing that I continually think of is if you're going to use native and you're going to do it to build leads or an audience generate uh, or an audience development strategy of some kind, you have to have your own platform of some kind so that you can draw people in to become your audience. Even if you don't have an audience yet, you have to have a platform where there's content and great po- the possibility of a great experience there. 
is if you don't, why would they ever become your audience? I don't That's know. Exactly so I don't right. know how to do that. Like I don't know how you you promote something on native and then they end up clicking over to your site or to your offer or whatever, probably content based. And if you don't have anything there, if there's nothing of substance, you're not going to get them. So Nate, I think the effectiveness ultimately of a native advertising program is what do you have <laughs> to offer that's these right. people? So that, so that's the one thing. The, the second thing is they go down and they talk about ROI and the whole time we, we just set this up, right? 60% is around audience of some kind, leads, content, uh, contacts, audience. And then they go down and they talk about, and I'm scrolling down so that I can break this down here. Then they, <laughs> so they talk about the campaign value breakdown of, and they, they're using an example of views. So they're measuring it by saying that there's a value to the number of views of infographics, articles, videos, whatever, tweets and likes and then links. Okay, right. so basically all activity metrics except for the links, which I guess that would be an activity. But here's my concern with that, and I wanted to get your take on it. So let's say the links thing. So they this whole um, article, the research, really focuses a lot on domain value of a link so or domain credibility of a link. So let's say that sure. Google so links to us. five or a six or a seven or whatever. Yeah, right. so Google is yeah. really – I mean, let's say not use Google. Let's use Yahoo. Yahoo links over Yahoo article links over to us. They rank really high in domain credibility, and so we get that's that's of more value than other things. But here's my concern: if that's our standard, if we're saying that the the link, which I'm not saying links are bad, links are fantastic and they're really helpful for search engine optimization and being found in search. But my problem is if you focus your measurement on that, what if? And this is going. This is a when, not an if. Google changes their algorithm. They're going to change the whole thing again, and they're going to say, you know what? We're not looking at links anymore. I don't know if that's going to happen next year or in 10 years. I mean, that's why the whole thing is just create really good quality content to a targeted audience. Yes, you can well, tweak that's... you could tweak the, the search stuff, but don't focus on just that. That's my – I mean, do you – But isn't that – Yes. T- yes. 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 Preach it, brother. Yes. I'm, can I get a hallelujah? I well, mean, So, look, yeah, I here's mean, the thing. You're going to do a native advertising program, and you're going to measure it by getting links, and then someday from domain in 12 ranks, months, it's not yeah. going to matter. No. I mean, well, not only that, but I don't care where. I don't care where. I care who. Uh, you know, if – I don't care if you come – so – if the answer is my targeted audience is coming from Yahoo, great. Do they have a domain rank of 10? Awesome. Love the SEO juice I'm getting from that. If they're coming from schmedley.com with a domain rank of 3 because that's where they're all aggregating because schmedley.com, that's a pro, you know, that's a copyrighted term by the way. schmedley.com <laughs> is giving me a higher concentration of my target audience. That's where I'm going to put my efforts. Because that's – I don't care where. I care who. And ultimately – I mean this is the cla- – this, this is a strategy of where I would say, well, you should be spending your money on broadcast television because broadcast television has the most reach and the most authority. It's like, no. I'm not going to put my stuff on New York Times if I'm a B2B manufacturer. That's not where my audience is. I don't care about reaching you know, people who are interested in business or sports. I'm interested in reaching people who are interested in my manufacturing that, Well, thing. that's such a great point because as they break down the, the value of the views, and they, they're not all equal. The no, shares and the not. views are not all equal, and I think we, we well, almost – was- Yeah, we're thinking that they are, and they're not. Right, and this was the challenge, if we go all the way back, this was the major challenge that we didn't, you know, as much as I loved, so loved, and respected what Relevance did with that native advertising algorithm, this is the one thing you can't account for. You can't account for audience density, target audience density in an algorithm. You have to just understand that and be able to plot it against your strategy because it, when you start trying to figure that out, then you know it, this is why you pay an extra, you know, a, an extra CPM in classic advertising terms for a for a highly dense audience on a channel versus you know when you're on cable versus broadcast. This is why you do it. And this is the same thing. It doesn't matter that it has more authority or it, it's been around longer or whatever. The, if, the, if there's a place where my audience is aggregating, I want to be there. Mm-hmm. So here's my final thought. Here's what I wish would happen. I wish 
that as because you know seventy five percent eighty percent of all publishers now offer some kind of native advertising programs. My wish right. is that as they're meeting with a brand that's interested in native advertising, they ask them and actually research what their platform's like, what their content platform, who the audience is targeting, so that as they uh, send people their way, they can help them and actually can can help them drive an audience instead of just activity metrics and what we would yeah, call well, you know, the yeah. lower level metrics that that's right sometimes are important but oftentimes are not important so that's that's my thing and but i know most agencies don't do that we want you know we want the uh the revenue we want the program we want the campaign as they put it here but i think a lot of native advertising is going to fail because it's going to go off into oblivion land and the audience isn't going to be attracted by anything stop that platform looking has. at yeah stop looking at content marketing as a campaign let's get out of that mindset let's get out of that campaign oriented mindset let's just do it oh my gosh well that's the thing i mean if you're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars that's the buzzfeed campaign they talk about in here right. hundred thousand dollars for three articles uh man you better be building something valuable that's there. right you better have the building blocks already in place uh, to to make something out of that because it's advertising, it's advertising, and <laughs> right. once it goes, it goes, and you're not going to see it again. So you've got to take uh, you got to take uh, some advantage of that while you have it, and uh, before it goes poof. So there you go. What are you gonna do with your life? That's the I'm second. Show. Rock. <laughs> That's the second week in a row that I've used <laughs> that quote. <laughs> oh, now it's twisted sister. There's nothing yeah, like that. Absolutely. Uh, All right, let's move on, shall we? Let's do it. Next article comes to us via Recode.net. Um, this was a fascinating article here. The headline is: New York Times is soon going to hit one million subscribers, but does it matter? Um, And the article starts off by saying the New York Times is poised to hit 1 million paying digital subscribers sometime this summer. CEO Mark Thompson uh, had talked about this during the company's earnings call last week, Um, a significant figure that's got a psychological milestone aspect to it as well as a financial one because it means a a lot more money for the Times. And if you don't remember, of course, the Times has been really playing with a lot of different ideas about paywalls and subscription and, and, of course, native advertising and all of that. And there's been a lot of different ways that they've been trying to make money, and this uh, subscription seems to be taking hold here. Um, and the interesting thing is that the article then goes through and sort of dissects, you know, is this really significant? Because the pay business right now, or the print business, I should say, rather, has been so significant. And right now, you know, quite frankly, the subscription digital business is such a small percentage of their revenue. Does that mean that the New York Times ostensibly has to become a much smaller company? Um, I don't think they do, but let me – I want to – so this is your business, Joe. I want to get your take on this. What did you think about this article? That's interesting. So, I mean, I'm, I am I get fascinated by this stuff. So yeah. the Times average weekday print circulation now stands at 625,000. Right. Um, so that down so, down from 1.8 million at their peak in the mid 90s. So so there so that's down, but you know that's yeah. that's an audience, and now they yeah. have one million uh, signed up as as a digital audience. Now that's what right. we've learned from this article is that they are monetizing that by uh, through paid content. So that's how they're monetizing that now. And I you know you and I talked about this before. Now are they? Um, they're probably only sharing this is how we're making money right now off of those 1 million. Now, they I'm under the assumption that the New York Times is pretty savvy and they've got a lot of <laughs> right, really smart exactly. people there that what we're going to see in the next few years cuz we that's the issue is every one of these articles that talks about this, they're only looking at, "Oh, well, this is how a media company makes money." So, right. they this is this is like uh, you know we talked about it in uh, when we used to started selling digital advertising back in the day when I was at Penton Media. It's like we were selling you know, a ten thousand dollar print ad, and then you were then uh, saying, okay, well I'm not going to sell the print ad anymore. Here's a thousand dollars in web inventory I'm going to sell you, and everybody was upset because you just couldn't get the numbers up high enough. But I think that. If you, you need to now look at this a little bit differently and say, look, now they have one million, they can monetize that. Yes, they're going to monetize that through two ways, and they are right now, through digital subscriptions and through advertising sponsorship. There's, all, there's another seven ways they can monetize this. 
And of course, products is going to be there. They're going to start selling products at some point. And I'm, I'm assuming, do you agree that they just haven't come out with this yet? They're still experimenting. There's more to, more to this story to come. And we just, we're, before, it's going to be probably 18 months from now. And then they're going to say, oh, my God, the New York Times completely changed their business model. And it's right. going to well, become as a surprise to the media. When that that's happens. right. Well, I, I think what, you know, I mean, not to draw too much irony from the last story, but I think what's going on here is the same challenge, which is we're equating business models. We're saying that the print business and the digital business, because they're both subscription businesses, are equal. And it could not be further from the truth, of course, because for one, a digital subscriber is much more monetizable, if that's the right way to even think about it, right? To your point, right? Now we have an addressable, rich data of the ability to serve that customer, deliver better experiences, much better than we do any print customer that we ever had. And the other thing, by the way, is what isn't, and I actually went and researched and went and looked at the last quarterly earnings report for the for the Times company and looked at their profitability. And they, it is. It's way up because the cost of business for them is going down. As they lose print subscribers, guess what? They also lose cost to print papers, to, to do all the things that they have to do, ink and all that stuff. And they're, you know, they're 4.5% more profitable this quarter. And so that's the key here is, is that we, we, they may end up being smaller in revenue because they actually have to compete or they need to monetize in multiple ways rather than the way they had to with the print magazine. But they will ultimately become much more – or have the opportunity, let's say, to become much more profitable with that revenue. And I think that's the reason, by the way, that you've seen their stock go up. I mean when, they, when, these, when these quarterly announcements came out, by the way, the stock went up. And so I think they're ap- absolutely on the right path here. I don't think they're dummies at no, all. No, just just they, look at yeah. l- just look at the earnings. Uh, let, let's just say that you had a ten million dollar company, and it's ten million dollars in in revenue from print advertising, and you got three million in profits. And then say take the s- same ten million, and or even less if you want. But let's just do apples to apples. So ten million, and then right. three million in profit on the digital side. If you were going to sell that print company on the one side, you'd probably be lucky to get three to five times earnings on the print side. On the sure. digital side, you could get anywhere from six to 10. I mean, that that's of higher value. So I love the point that you're making is just because, I mean, the numbers look a little bit different and maybe not the revenue is different, the profitability is there. And that's more valuable revenue, honestly. The, the street values it more and they will continue to value it more because it, it honestly is more valuable. That's the growing stuff. That's the stuff that you could do more with. And the digi- what I love is the whole idea of you have a digital opt-in audience. If you have, a dig- if you have an opt-in audience through email and the number of ways they're connected to their audiences, boy, you, you have a lot of potential to do stuff with That's that. That's right. You, I mean, so much opportunity to do stuff. And we're starting to see you know, them ex- – I mean, you know, if you look at what they're doing – you know, depending on your point of view, whether you're sort of a bull or a bear on this company, you can say in, you know, if you're a bear on this company, you can say, well, they're flailing around trying to find a business model. And if you're a bull on this company, you might say, well, you know what, rather what they're doing is they're figuring out like every other leader in the digital space right now and experimenting with lots of, they're willing to fail. They're willing to do, you know, I mean, they're doing all the things that everybody teaches to do these days, fail fast, learn, figure it out, experiment, try and find where the market is headed and, and fund the things that are working. And that seems to be from the outside looking in, it seems to be what they're doing. I mean, I, I certainly don't have any inner privy to what's going on on the inside of the New York times, but it, from my perspective, it looks like they're 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 on the right track. No, like it's so interesting on the business to business publishing side because I, since I interact with a lot of B two B publishers and media companies, it's amazing how many now consider themselves event producers. Right. I mean, they've exactly. come right out and say we're not re- we're not a publisher anymore. We're an event company. I'm like, whoa! When did that happen? But that's the, they they altered their business model. That's what they went to. So the right. the print becomes a lost leader for them. It's just interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking of altering business models, we have a wonderful sponsor, a new sponsor to talk about. Ring the bell. 
We ding, have, ding. Da, 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 da. Wow, I love that. We, we need da, da, to have music da, 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 da. or something. Or maybe you could just do, do yeah. your thing. You just da, 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 do that. Da, 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 this old marketing is sponsored this week by Connective DX, formerly EyeSight Design. For those people that know EyeSight, they changed their name recently. Congratulations on the rebranding. Connective DX, a digital experience agency that helps organizations embrace the power of digital, align around the customer, and take control of their future. They put the DX in digital experience. Oh, I like that. That's it. That's the tagline. There you you got to go. just tell the Connective DX folks <laughs> that you have fo- now found their whole brand statement. We put the DX. Yeah. Like get a little Mr. T going on or something like that. We put the DX in. But I have to tell you, experience. I haven't been through this whole thing because I just received it, but I did spend a good 20 minutes with it. They have put together an amazing guide. The Practical Guide to Creating Connected Experiences. And I thought you'd like that title, actually. Oh, I love it very much, yeah. It is packed with tips, templates, insights on how you can build the this wonderful experience that you want with your customer and what i love is they go through i don't know if you did you have a t- chance to look at this in detail i know i just got it today you just got myself, it i know so, we were yeah. going through it and i definitely want to spend some time with it but i went through this i'm like this is hefty i mean there's there's some meat here that is really impressive so what i love about this is it's it's a really it's a how-to thing so if you're trying to figure out how do i communicate with my customers what do i need to do first who do i need to get involved how do i map this content to the customer journey they've got this together for you so you're going to want to download this go to bit.ly slash connective dash dx dash guide and you can download this uh the connected experience guide and i'm just super impressed with what they put together congratulations on the rebranding folks we'll continue to talk about this and it'll be of course in the show notes you're gonna want to download this because uh i'm i mean you know we These guys are super well smart. we get super, we get stuff all the smart. time and we get some uh, we we of course love all the uh the pieces of content we get because if we didn't at least like it and think it was valuable we wouldn't be promoting it um, this thing is good. I mean, I really like this. So when you get a chance, download it, bit.ly slash connective-dx-guide. And thanks to the Connective DX folks for uh, for sponsoring the show this week. Super happy to Welcome have you on board. Welcome to the PNR family. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. All right, folks, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is, of course, our rants and raves section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us feel like mom and that home cook feeling or makes us feel like the kids who haven't done their homework and mom's going to come in and yell at us. So um, I have the first uh, uh, go here because I have this old marketing. You do? um, Yep. Yep. And uh, and then Joe will go second. So I have a rant. It is a soft rant. um, And it, it is not something that I'm particularly angry about but it's it's something that i felt like i had to bring up um so big hat tip here by the way to john i'm going to guess john stale uh because his last name has the l'accent aigu my uh, apologies to our french listeners but it's the little sort of accented e there so i think it's john stale um and this uh story is about gifs not gifs folks it's gifs soft g I'm an old CompuServe guy. It's GIFs. So here we go. Um, Adam Liebson, he's the COO of Jiffy, uh, G-I-P-H-Y, the largest search platform dedicated to animated clips on the web. He is the COO of that company, and he spoke um, at a PSFK event. Um, uh, and the, this article that I'm referring to, of course, we'll put in the show notes, comes from psfk.com. And he was talking about this idea. He says, in the age of the Internet, Liebson talks about how words are a thing of the past. I'm not even joking. At first, when somebody sent, when John sent me this thing, I thought it was an Onion article. And when I went and watched the video, with all due respect um, to Adam, he looks like he should be on Silicon Valley. He's one of those guys, long hair, full-on beard, very handsome guy. And the presentation is really funny because, of course, it has all the great animated GIFs, classic animated GIFs. But his point 
through his whole presentation that he goes through is that he argues that w- words are basically only good for one purpose, which is to provide a literal definition. And he says, and I've, I, I got to take him at his word here that he's serious about this, is that basically that we've gotten beyond words, that the GIF and specifically the animated GIF is now what should actually replace words as our ability to communicate because, quite frankly, it communicates better. Now, I don't want to take this too far because he may have been totally tongue-in-cheek with this. I I don't want to certainly overplay my hand here and sort of get all angry about it. But the irony, of course, in his presentation, whether he, again, knows it or not, is that he, in all of his animated GIFs, he has words being displayed to give context to the animated GIF. And he has to sort of explain them all as as he goes through. Again, very funny. So... Allow me in my little rant here to just open up my English lit geek out sort of mind here and defend the idea of words for a moment. Because I think if I, if, I just want to be able to defend words as a valuable concept that we want to keep. Um, so it was Emily Dickinson who basically said, if she said, quote, if I read a book and it makes my whole body so cold that no fire can warm me, I know that's poetry. If I feel physically as if the top of my head were taken off, I know that's poetry. These are the only ways I know it. Is there any other way? So in my own words, if I may, I would just point out that one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself is to attempt mastery of your own language. This is what sets us apart, by the way, folks. By themselves, of course, words are just tags. Of course, I would agree with that. They're classifications of things, a way to phonically convey an idea to another living thing about what a thing is. Scientists, by the way, have concluded um, recently in studies that the more parents talk to their children and use words, the faster children's vocabularies grow and the better their intelligence develops. And while we are going to think, by, by the way, about words, duh, to that, actually it was only 20 years ago that we had the ability for science to even tell us that. And so what they did was they actually looked at all these kids and they measured all these different families and the number of words that were used in those families as those kids grew up and basically found out that those kids, by the time they reached nine, the ones that had spoken more words to those kids had better intelligence, better aptitude for learning. So words by themselves, of course, are articles, simple tags that convey a classification Weirdly, if you say them often enough and repeat them, they start to lose their meaning, right? I've done that in presentations I've given where I've talked about the word engagement, 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 engagement. And if I say it enough times, it starts to lose its meaning. That, too, has a classification of words. It's called semantic satiation. And I defy you to show me an animated GIF without using words that communicates the idea of semantic satiation. Words strung together become art. They become much more than the sum of their parts. They become, in the words, the conquerors, the recorded history of our species. They become our hymns. They become our chants. They become the inflammatory screams that make us mad, that incite us, that ultimately become the poetry that moves us. And I'll just finish with one of my favorite writers of words of all time, who is Tom Stoppard. If you love Shakespeare and love, by the way, Stoppard is the reason for that. He's just an amazing writer, and he's written so many awesome things. And the quote that I just love of his, he says, Words, if you look at them, can build bridges across incomprehension and chaos. But when they get their corners knocked off, they're no good anymore. I don't think writers are sacred, but words are. They deserve respect. If you get the right ones in the right order, you can nudge the world a little bit and you can make a poem which children will speak for you when you're dead. And let me be on record when I say I don't want a GIF to speak to me when I die. But then, like with a GIF, I'm old school that way. End of rant. Like a bridge (laughs) over (laughs) trouble. <laughs> I will lay you down. Like oh man, let's just get into it. I right, man, that's like three weeks in a row. You've uh, you, you brought out this. I would. I could never. I didn't even know half of the words you I'm said. I didn't know what they meant. A little bit on. I'm trying to up my game a little bit on the rants. Oh right? my so. gosh, I I'm gonna have to do that because uh, I'm, I'm definitely falling behind. Let me do mine, uh, especially yeah. in this short. Uh, Birthday week, as it will will be here. Um, I have two quick uh, raves to talk about. The first one is, and I won't spend too long on it, but uh, TechCrunch had a fantastic article 
on a gla- is it pronounced glossier? It's glossier's Emily Weiss, yes, right? That's glossier. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the only thing I want, and I'm going to put this in the show notes because it's fantastic. Because TechCrunch does a story on Emily Weiss, who's so good, who's raised over ten million dollars putting together her beauty brand, and she built this on the back of a blog. So she built she built content first. She built an audience. She listened for the first six months, built an amazing audience, and now she's an e-commerce company. She's selling all kinds of skin products and. Um, and her own beauty line as well. And this is, you know, the what I love about this, Robert, is this is the book. This is Content Inc., the new book, my new book coming out. Did you out. talk to her? This Did is, you talk I, to her? No, I didn't. But I'm going to put yeah. this in the book now on the back end because I didn't even know about this because we did a couple. Joy Cho is another really, really good uh, beauty example. Of course, Lauren Luke from back in the day. Sure, we, of course. Yeah. I had enough beauty examples, but I didn't see this one, and I thought it was fantastic. What I love about this is the fact that here VC companies are looking at this and saying, wow, there is some real value here to building an audience first. And then on the back end, uh, selling products and services. Yeah. And I hats off to this article for absolutely hitting the mark and saying this is an interesting model that, that we need to be prepared for, uh, that you're actually creating content first and then creating the brand through product sales after that. And I just think it's fantastic. So congratulations to Emily Weiss. Uh, she's, there's a couple good videos in this post uh, as well. We'll definitely put it into the show notes. And then, you know, just on a personal note, uh, and I know you had something to do with this, but you know, I woke up this morning and I saw the post. It, it was "Happy Birthday, Joe Polizzi." Here are forty-two things we wanted to say. So and awesome. There's every member of the Content Marketing Institute team had a wonderful thing to say, and then it was really surprising. You know, key people from the industry that we all know and love. Uh, a lot of them we mentioned on this show already today, and then some of the people that I grew up with in publishing were in there. My best friend from grade school, who I've known longer, Jeremy Smith, who I've known longer than any, I've known him for almost 40 years. Uh, you know, we, we went to um, Safety Town together before kindergarten. He was in there doing his thing, and of course, my two boys, Joshua and Adam, uh, had their, their things to say about their dad. And it's one of those things that, I don't know, you get nostalgic over. Uh, oh, you, no, just, I just I just need to throw the because it was in looking at this, you could see how much time people put into it and people on the CMI staff. And that's why you just think about, man, we have such a great team. And it just blows me away every time that, you know, you don't I've never been involved in a company that feels like a family. And that's what this feels like. So I just wanted well, to show a little thank you. out. The to love that. you give is equal to the love you receive, my friend. So. Just look at it that way. You are you are a generous, kind-hearted man. So it is it is it is well received. So how about that? Well, so thank you, birthday. sir. It does make this you know doing this show and doing all the things we do together because it's it's more than work. And I think that that's the key thing, right? You're 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 trying to do so. It's just all about human beings and living life the way you think it should be lived. And of course, we have to make uh, money in the process. And this is a darn good way to do it. And at the same time, we're changing lives. So. Like a bridge <laughs> over trouble. All right, uh, thank you, sir. Um, you have Let's, you have a this old marketing. I app. have a this old marketing, Super which feeds right into Emily's uh, story as well. I found this literally looking around for Mother's Day stuff um, in my opening intro. I was trying to find some inspiration on Mother's Day and. I found this example that I just had to talk about. And I was certainly surprised that, quite frankly, we haven't talked about it before. So I found this website, uh, which is also a print magazine, and it's called goodolddaysmagazine.com. And, of course, we'll put the link in the show notes. And this was launched in 1964. Good Old Days is the original nostalgia magazine. features reader-provided stories, recollections from days gone by, and it talks about all sorts of things. Now, Good Old Days Magazine is an Annie's publication. Now, Annie's is a publishing company. It in, they include magazines and books and all sorts of stuff, TV programming. They have been around um, since 1925. They're a family business and, um, and, and are, are located um, in Bern, Indiana, near Fort Wayne. And this comp- so this is a magazine that I found, and it links over to their e-commerce stores. And so doing a little more digging, doing a little more research, I've come to find out that what happened was they started as a publisher back in the um, early 1900s, as I said, launched a bunch of magazines, 
And as they sort of grew up, in the mid-90s, they decided to start adding e-commerce products to the idea. So here's a company that started as a content company and then began to add into it e-commerce capabilities. And now they're sort of this merged one entity where they are half media company and half products company. And if you go to Annie's main page... They've got a whole family of stuff now. They go Crochet World, Blue Ribbon Crochet, Quilters World, Cross Stitch, Samplers, Knitting Magazine. They've got a PBS show called Knit and Crochet TV. They have all, they've got the Good Old Times Magazine. They've got this family business. And then each one of those links over to different e-commerce sites where you can buy products related to the actual magazine. And then they, on the e-commerce side, they've got ads and sort of inlaid editorial where you can go back and subscribe to the editorial piece. It's a merged product and media company. And I just think it's such a fantastic example. The, fa- the wonderful thing that I think is so great here is, is that this magazine, and as a publishing company, started way back in 1925, realized even before many of us did that e-commerce was going to be a thing and started to launch these e-commerce and has been around. I'm so anxious to talk to some of these folks and see how they're doing and what their story is really because all I was able to do before we went to air was really do what's available on the public website and the research. But it just seems to me a fantastic example of this old marketing. That is a good one. And I I love this. Uh, We'll put the... uh the screenshot maybe in the show notes this is this is it really is the good old days i love some of this uh imagery here back in the day back in the day yeah back i mean it's i mean day. it's it's like nostalgia right so uh so what are you up to uh, the rest of well, the week here sir that you know um you did the I move moved you did I the move moved i am moved i'm i as i speak i come to you from the new place um in i'm the starting of what i'm trying to build is a little uh my own little micro studio in the new place we're super happy um as soon as i'm done here we're going to go down and share a glass of wine or four um and sort of celebrate our unpacking and all that kind of stuff and then yeah and then next week i'm back out on the road i'm i'm immediately back out on the road and starting to work work uh work schedule again very good. I'm. Yeah, uh, and you? I leave uh, first thing in the morning, uh, which is oh why we're, we're producing this on uh, on Mother's Day. Um, we've got site visits, multiple site locations. We're looking at uh, Las Vegas uh, as a possible location for Intelligent Content Conference le- uh, next year. So we're looking at a bunch of places where we could possibly have that. I, don't worry, I'm not going to have any fun at all in Vegas. It's all work, <laughs> so I'm going to go. So not true. Going to go to so work there, true. and then uh, actually I'll spend two days there, and then on Wednesday I head to Authority Conference, which is the conference put on by Brian Clark and the good folks at Copy Blogger and Rainmaker FM, and uh, we'll be speaking. And Ann Hanley there and is there along with Brian and Sonia Simone and all the good folks uh, at Authority. And it's it's going to be super fun. And I'm doing my my Content Inc. talk, which I haven't given very much there, but it's a perfect audience, that small business audience interested in content. So I'll be looking forward to do that. And then I'm I think I have one more trip after that, and then I'm home for the summer. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, that is just fantastic. All right. Well, that uh, that's it for us. So go uh, go hug your mothers, people. Go uh, go do something wonderful for mom. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We're signing off. And you know, tweet us up hashtag this old marketing. Um, we love those show ideas. Keep them coming. Or if you love email, send us an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 78, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about today will be in the show notes on Saturday, available at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week, folks, you know, because you're going to hear Joe say, you know why we're not going to die? Because we're too pretty for God to let us die. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.